This is the People Make Things podcast, a behind-the-scenes look at the modern entertainment industry. I'm your host, Christopher Natsume. I'm a game developer, I'm a podcaster, I'm a live streamer, and I'm also an entrepreneur. The internet knows me a little bit better as Night Squirrels. jump right into it today because I've got a lot that I want to talk about and it's going to take a bit to get through it and I I, I apologize if it, if it gets a little preachy or something like that but but bear with me I've got some stuff I want to talk about and I want to start with a drive that I made into Los Angeles years and years ago I was driving down I believe it's a 405 and no actually I think it's a 10 I was driving I, someone will correct me I, I'm going to say it was the 10 I'm driving down the 10 and there's a museum in Los Angeles that I have never been to and I've I've wanted to ever since I've seen it. It's something I want to do. It's on my list of stuff to do next time I get to L.A. It's the Museum of Tolerance, and it's the Simon Wiesenthal, you know, Holocaust. It's it's that museum. You guys all know what it is. And the very first time I saw it, it was the very first time I'd been to L.A. I think it was when I was still in college, and I saw this, and I, I kind of laughed at the sign a little bit. And I'm I'm sorry for people who think I'm making fun of Jewish people or something. It's not not where I'm going with this. But the the sign itself, the Museum of Tolerance, it seemed such a such a weird word to me that that we chose this word tolerance and you know i i get what you know i i get it and please don't write me and tell me you know a big lecture about what the museum i I know what the museum's about but the word tolerance the fact that we use this word that it it's it's a weird word to me because it doesn't really have a particularly positive meaning i mean if you go to a a doctor and, and the doctor says yeah you know this thing on you it's it's not so great but you could tolerate it that's not a good meaning. You don't go home and tell your fans, you know, hey, I can tolerate it. You know, that's not that's not a happy moment for you, right? If if somebody, you know, if you're hanging out with your friends and they say, you know, what's Bob like? Oh, Bob's all right. You can tolerate him. That doesn't mean Bob's cool. That doesn't mean you want to hang out with Bob. It means Bob sucks, but, you know, we have to put up with him, so we tolerate it. And the idea that when we have people who have wildly differing opinions or they come from a different background or they're of a different gender or race or what whatever that we tolerate them tells me it tells me that that we don't like them we don't we we disagree with them we don't like them but we're just gonna choke back our dislike and tolerate it and that and again i'm not saying that that's what the museum's about so please don't write me and tell me that i that's not where i'm going but i'm i'm going a different place with this and it was it was just the memory of that sign when i was still young and i've i've never been able to get it out of my head and i i got to thinking about it on my most recent trip i actually just came back from iran and you know as as you know iran's a very muslim country i'm i'm certainly not muslim uh, a lot of people have a lot of strong opinions about iran and about the culture there etc and I got to thinking about this idea of tolerance. Um, and I, I got to thinking about this idea of, of, of what does it mean to, to be tolerant? And, 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 you know, if I'm tolerating something, it's, it means I don't agree with it. And, and if I don't agree with it, there's kind of two ways that I don't agree with it. One is, all right, I think it's wrong and I'm right. It, it, this is wrong. I'm looking at something and it's wrong and it is wrong and it shouldn't be. And I'm pointing out that it's wrong. Ah, I don't like it, right? Or possibility two, I think it's wrong. It's got to be wrong. But actually, I'm wrong, and it's right, and that's it. In a, in a world of, of 
right and wrong that's the case. And, and, and this gets to the, the question of do we live in a world of right and wrong? Is that a real thing? And of course, there's two kinds of right and wrong. There's factually right and wrong. There's morally right and wrong. And, you know, sadly, we live in a, a world of alternate facts where factually right and wrong seems to have taken on a new meaning. But, you know, in, in the world of science, we, we can at least agree that, you know, some things are largely factually right or factually wrong. We can say 2 plus 2 equals 4. We can say 2 plus 2 probably doesn't equal 5. I mean, you know, there, and, and as we move forward in science, we get into other things and, and you know, how much can we prove it? And, and but, but at least in the world of science, we can, we can have sort of a factual right and wrong. But when we start talking about morals, before we can say that something is morally right or wrong, we have to put together some sort of moral code. And that moral code is going to differ for different people. And, you know, it's it's obvious that some people are going to be Christians and some people are going to be Muslims and some are going to be Buddhists and whatnot, and they are all going to develop their own different moral code based on their, you know, the culture and the teachings and whatnot that they come from. Most of us, um, most of the people listening to this uh, broadcast, probably come from some variety of Judeo-Christian moral code, uh, whether you're, you're Jewish or Christian or uh, Muslim or uh, you know, whether Protestant or Catholic, however, however you define yourself, there's a very large chance that either you come from one of those religions or you come from a culture that's been heavily influenced by one of those uh, religions. And, you know, those religions kind of simplify things down a little bit by saying, hey, look, there's a God and God said this is right and this is wrong. You should do this and that's good and you shouldn't do this and that's bad. And look, I put it all down in a little book for you. Go read the book. Do what it says. We're cool. And, you know, obviously this uh, this definition of right and wrong is going to differ by, you know, which book you're reading uh, which or, you know, in many cases, which which version of the book are you reading or, or even, you know, are you reading the, the prequel version like the, the Jewish people do? Are you reading the sequel version uh, like the Islamic people do? You know, depending on how you, you look at it. Uh, you know, you're looking at a different book. And, and even if you're looking at the same book, you have different people interpreting that book differently. And even within the interpretations of the book, you have some people saying, well, yeah, that's what it means, but that's not the important part. I mean, God, and, and, and you've heard all this. I don't have to go through all this. You, you know all this. You know, the idea that, that, all right, this book says you can't be gay, and we're going to come down on that bit. But you know what? The book also says you can't get divorced and you can't eat shellfish. But we've kind of decided we're cool with that part. Well, but okay, well, maybe we're not cool with the divorce part if you're from this. You know, and, and everyone's kind of sorted this out. And the reality is, whether you want to say you're a fundamentalist Christian or a fundamentalist Muslim or whatever, you've chosen your interpretation of morality. And maybe you pulled a lot of it from a book. Maybe you pulled a lot of it from your parents' interpretation of the book or the, the preacher's interpretation of the book or your own personal interpretation of the book or, or just some stuff that had nothing to do with the book. Now, I personally am an atheist. I'm not here to you know talk about being an atheist or try to sell you on being an atheist. But I bring it up because for me, I've had to kind of find my own morality because I can't go look at these books. I don't believe in those gods and I don't believe in those books. So I can't point at the book and say, well, the book tells me to do this. So that's right and wrong. And I've had to kind of go figure out my own uh, right and wrong. And that's uh, that's been a challenge for me. And it becomes even a greater challenge for me when I when I don't have the ability to point at something and say, yeah, I believe in this and I, I don't believe in that. You know, I, I can remember when I lived in Salt Lake City, uh, I was surrounded by Mormons, of course. And, I, you know, I don't have anything against Mormons. But one thing that was interesting about working in Salt Lake City around a bunch of Mormons, if you worked in the game industry, is, as you know, the game industry tends to work very long hours. And sometimes people in the game industry work weekends. And there were a lot of devout Mormons in the studio that on Sunday would just say, uh, no, 
no, I can't work Sundays. Uh, Sunday's church day, and I go to church on Sunday, and that's my day for my family, and if that's just it. I'm just not going to work. And I remember thinking to myself, and that's nice. I, I wish my you know, self-made religion could, could have edicts that I could point to and just say, nope, uh, I, I believe I don't work on Sunday and I'm not coming in on Sunday. And, you know, if I said that I'd get, you know, put up on my card, you know, Chris is kind of a dick and he doesn't come in on Sundays, but you know, if I was a, a Mormon, well, Chris is a Mormon and we can't ask him to come in on Sundays or we violated his religious beliefs, but then because, you know, they pulled it from up, but I, I digress. I don't want to talk about that, but when I, when I come down to this idea of tolerance, the idea of tolerance is somebody is violating my ideas of what's right and wrong, and I've decided that in the interests of you know peace and prosperity for everybody, I'm going to just choke it down and deal with it. And, and, you know, I, I disagree with what he's doing, or I disagree with who he is, but he has the right to be that, and I just got to deal with it. The question that I get to is, what happens when you have to start tolerating the intolerance of others. And and this is always the critical question. I'll tell you a story. I was in um I was in a town called Klang. It's a coastal city in Malaysia. It's where Kuala Lumpur hits the ocean. And it's it's kind of a big industrial area. It's got, you know, a beach. It's not the prettiest beach in the world, but it's a beach. It's got some resorts. They're not the prettiest resorts in the world, but they're they're resorts. I know I'm not serving as a great tour guide to the city of Klang. My apologies to the fine town of Klang, but I was there uh, at one of their uh, resorts and I was having a drink with a friend. And, you know, it's, it's got kind of a view of the ocean and it's got, you know, some pools and stuff and we're sitting there having some, you know, the, the kind of fruity drinks that you drink when you're in the, the tropics. And I'm looking down the hill at the big pool that the resort has and there's a family playing in the pool. And it's it's a father and his two children, a, a daughter and a son. And, the, you know, the father and the son, I guess the son is maybe 10, 11 years old, something like that. I don't really remember. He was, he was small. And the father and the son, they're wearing little bathing suits and they're, you know, got a volleyball and they're tossing the ball back and forth and laughing and having a good time. And near them is the daughter. And the daughter, who I, I wish I could tell you how old she was, but I, I don't know because she was covered from head to toe in uh, what seemed to be black bed sheets, which is a terrible garment if you're going to be in the pool. She was obviously having zero fun and just sort of standing there and sullenly watching her father and her brother play volleyball. And it was clear that she would really like to play volleyball with them and, and enjoy this, you know, healthy family activity, but she couldn't because she was in the pool wearing sheets, big, long, flowing black sheets. And I thought, how is that good? You know, I, I don't, I mean, I, I really struggle. I look, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at that and I'm really struggling to not get my, you know, anger up. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, who, who who came up with this? Who thought it was a good idea that a, that a father can have two children and he can play volleyball with one of the kids in the pool, but he can't play volleyball with one of the other kids in the pool because girls are dirty or, or what? however you want to rationalize it. I don't know how you want to rationalize it, but come on, it's fucked up, right? And... And I thought to myself, in the same way that, you know, I go, I go back to my, my, my example of the Mormons in Utah, you know, if, if I were to take my kids to the pool and I were to, you know, with no religion at all, as an, athe as a, as an atheist and I don't have any sort of religion to fall back on, and I said, all right, I've got two kids, I've got a daughter, I've got a son, this is real. And if I were to take my daughter and my son down to the pool and I would say to my son, here, put on these swim trunks and, you know, here's the volleyball, let's you and me play volleyball together. And you, daughter, put on these sheets and go stand in the corner of the pool, you filthy woman. If, if I were to do that without any sort of religion backing me up, 
I would get a visit from Child Protective Services. People would want to, you know, questions would be asked. Here's a real chance they'd take those kids away from me. But because they got a book, a, a, a book that they can point to and say, well, you know, we read this book and this book says to do this. And, well, you know, it's the book that my parents read and it's the book their parents read. And it's a very important book. So, you know, you got to let me force my daughter to wear these sheets and stand in the corner of the pool. We have to tolerate it. Huh. That's a problem for me, and I, I really struggle with it. And I know some of you right now are, are saying, you know, well, that's none of your damn business, Chris. That's their family. That's their father. Their father has the right to, you know, raise his family. However, you wouldn't want that father telling you how to raise your family. And I wouldn't. I sure as fuck wouldn't want that dude telling me how to raise my daughter, because apparently he raises his daughter in a bunch of sheets, and that seems fucked up to me. So... Yeah, you're right. I would not want that dude telling me how to raise my kids. But in this case, I believe that I'm right and he's wrong. And I don't pull it out of any book. I pull it out of the way that I think the world should be and the way that I think most of us think the world should be. And I and, and even though that's his family and even though, you know, that at some level we have to say a family has a right to raise their children however they do, uh, do, we, do, we, do we then agree that... Uh, uh, father has the right to beat his kids do we does a father have a right to scream at his daughter every time she comes out you know where do we draw the line and say okay your rights as a parent exist but this child's rights as just a human being exists too and you've chosen to raise your family in such a way that you're violating the human rights of this child and you know i am a feminist i'm I'm a strong feminist i've always been a feminist and for me looking at this if that does not get your hackles up as a feminist I, i genuinely question what does? Like, if that's not a problem, of fem- you know, if feminists don't have a problem with that, what the hell do they have a problem with? So I'm troubled by that. I'm troubled by the idea that that's something that I need to tolerate. I'm troubled by that. And and it's interesting because I, I got to thinking about that story. I hadn't thought about that story in a long time because that, that happened quite a while ago. And it's interesting. I should mention, by the way, for those of you who are about to get upset um, about my, my Malaysian story and say, wait a minute, Chris that's all bullshit. You don't have to wear, you know, big, long flowing sheets in Malaysia. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, those probably weren't actually Malaysians. The The way it works, for, for those who are going to Malaysia, I should explain, um, in Malaysia, they actually have Shira law. They, they have Muslim law. But the Muslim law actually only applies to Muslims. And so you actually have to have it written on your card, your ID card. So, you know, at any point in time, a, a police officer from the religious police can walk up to you and say, show me your ID card, your driver's license or whatnot. And they'll look at it. And if that, if you're, for instance, sitting at a beachside resort drinking a fruity drink in the way that me and my, my Chinese friend, my Chinese Malaysian friend were, um, if they had looked at his card and it said Muslim, that dude was going to jail. And if they looked at his card and it said uh, Buddhist or Christian or some other religion, well, have a nice day and enjoy your drink. It's, it seems a relatively sane way to to run your your religious country. I, mean, I got problems with it, but I, I, my problems are less than some others. But in any case, I'm I'm even even for most Malaysians who are Muslim, they don't wear you know flowing sheets in the in the pool usually. I'm I'm relatively certain. Uh, lately, Malaysia has become a vacation destination for people from other countries like Saudi Arabia, and my guess is that those people were probably tourists from a, a stricter Muslim nation than Malaysia. But it, it that was where I saw the story, and, and the, everything else I said about the story holds true in terms of you know goodness. Whether you're from Malaysia, where the laws are this way, or America, where the laws or this way, or or United Emirates, where the laws are a very different way. Uh, I believe the human rights remain much the same. So my story stands. But 
I want to tell another story. On my trip from Iran, I, I was coming back from Iran. And by the way, I have a lot of stuff that I want to say about Iran, a lot of things I want to talk about Iran. It was a very moving trip for me, and I learned a lot of stuff, and I, 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 I dealt with a lot of things, and I'm, st- I'm still now processing that trip and dealing with a lot of things. And one of the things that I had to process was on the way home. Uh, for, for those of you who don't know, in, in Iran, there are some you know, rules and regulations about how women can dress in Iran. And the, not to get too specific, essentially women aren't allowed to show any of their legs and they're not allowed to show their arms below their elbows and they're supposed to wear something over their head uh, to cover their hair. And to be honest, most Iranian uh, women do this quite fashionably. You know, the jeans work for the, the covering the legs and they have, you know, actually very fashionable uh, sort of clothes that cover their arms that, that you know, look kind of like Chanel suits or something like that. They, they tend to be quite well-dressed. Um, but and, and usually they've got a scarf over their head that, you know, you can usually see their hair and whatnot, but there's a scarf there for the propriety reasons and whatnot. Um, obviously, I have some issues with the idea that a, that a nation defines what a human being can wear. I have some issues with that, and, 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 and that's hard for me to tolerate. But it's their country, and I'm, I'm going over there, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to yell and scream about it. So I'm on my way back, and I get on the plane, and everyone on the plane is you know, dressed in Iranian style. The, the women all, all got their headscarves on. You can't see no filthy, dirty women elbows to be seen anywhere. And I was, I was really tired. I'd been up all day. I got on the flight at like 2 in the morning, and I was lucky enough to have one of those seats that's like a four-across seat that nobody sat in. So immediately, the minute I got in the plane, the minute that they let me take my seatbelt off, bam, I go down on the seats. I crash like a rock, and I'm out. And for the little short trip, you know, it's a two-hour trip from Tehran to Dubai. For that little short trip, I, I slept like a rock. And I didn't get up again until the little ding-ding-ding went off and told me, hey, you know, sit up and fasten your seatbelt and whatnot. We're about to land. And so I, I, I sit up, and the plane has transformed. Quietly, without any sort of fanfare or anything, while I was asleep, everyone had taken their headscarves off. Everyone had taken off the extra upper garment that was covering their their elbows and now there the plane was full of women in short sleeve shirts showing their hair and i thought to myself yeah they didn't choose to do this you know all this all this stuff that you hear about we need to respect women's rights to choose to wear you know a veil or whatnot if they choose to do so yeah all right i they have the you have the right to put something on your head but it was pretty damn clear that this plane was full of women that were not choosing to do that and the very second, I mean, they didn't even wait for that plane to hit ground in the next country. The minute we were out of Iranian airspace, bam, that shit came off because those women felt that they were only doing it because they were forced to do it. And I thought to myself, not only is this absolutely sort of unfair, you know, I mean, dude, that sucks, but it's also kind of ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, it's not like Iranians don't know. It's not like they don't have TV. It's not like they don't have the internet. It's not like they don't know how the rest of the world works. It's not that they don't know that the minute people leave their country, they take this shit off, including their own people. It's it's kind of ridiculous. And, and yes, before you send me all the angry letters, I know that some women do choose to do this, and I know that's their right, and I know that not every single woman on that plane took off her headscarf, and I know that there are people that live even in America and choose to wear a headscarf, and more fucking power to them if that's what they want to do. But that's not what's happening in Iran. Everyone's wearing it, and everyone's doing it because the government says they have to, and there's a lot of pressure to do it. Um, and not just social pressure, but they're actually legal pressure. Should I tolerate that? Is that something that I should just accept and say, well, that's just the way Iranians are and that's cool? 
I'm going to answer that question later. But before I do, I want to tell another story because I feel like I'm I'm banging on 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 Muslims really hard, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to say this is a a Muslim issue. I want to tell another story, and it's about another place in the world that I love very much and I travel to quite often. It's Manila, and when I first started going to Manila quite a few years ago, uh, some of my Philippine uh, friends said, you know, if you really want to learn about Manila, there's this great TV show that you should watch. And it, it's called the, the Hardest Place in the World to Be a Blank. And they did a bunch of versions of it with the blank being replaced with some various jobs. So they did like the hardest place in the world to be a, a nurse, I think was set in Africa somewhere. And there was a hardest place in the world to be a, a garbage man was set in Jakarta. It was actually very good. You should watch that one too. But the one that was in Manila was the hardest place in the world to be a bus driver. And the idea is that they take a guy from London who's got, you know, some job. And in this case, it was some guy that drove us in London, drove like a nice double-decker, you know, London-style red bus. And they said, okay, you're going to go to Manila and you're going to drive a jeepney. And if you've ever heard of a jeepney, a jeepney is this sort of extended jeep that is the mainstay of local traffic in Manila. It's It's got about, you know, these benches that you think should maybe sit six people that they cram a good solid 12 or 13 people into. Uh, in these unair conditioned open air jeeps, you know they, they have a, a roof on them, but there's no air conditioning or anything in them. Uh, the back is open; people kind of just jump on them and, and ride, and they they ride those around town. And they're they're old, they're broken down, and the guy who drives the jeep actually has to make change, you know, manually with a you know pile of money in his in his lap, you know. And it's and, and you know the joke is, oh, isn't it so hard for this this bus driver to to drive this jeep? But it's a very good show; you should watch it. But what was fascinating about it was it wasn't just about, you know, driving a Jeep. It was about him experiencing the whole life of a Jeep driver in or Jeep knee driver, I should say, in Manila. And part of it was, you know, going and meeting people in the neighborhood. And there was one section of this show that I will I will never forget. And I, I hope I get all the details of it right. I've, I've only watched it once because I couldn't watch it a second time because it really disturbed me. Um, but the details, as I remember was that there was a woman there and she was about to have her 13th baby. And when she had her 13th baby, she had decided that she was going to start using birth control. And let me say that again in case you missed it. Her 13th baby. And after baby 13, she was she had decided that maybe it was time for her to start using birth control. And she was absolutely devastated by this life decision because she was convinced. She had been told from the time she was a very small child that birth control was evil. She had been told, you know, the church tells her even now, even with her 13 kids, the church was clear, you know, when she went and talked to the church about it, because of course she went and, you know, I talked to the, the, the church and said, this is something that I'm going to do. You know, went to confession. Church told her, absolutely not. You cannot take birth control. That's gonna, it's an evil thing. You burn in hell for that. She was convinced that she was going to burn in hell if she took birth control and didn't have a 14th child after her 13th child. And keep in mind, this woman is, is like in her 30s. I mean, she's young. I mean, she, I don't even want to know what her uterus looks like. I mean, just absolutely destroyed this woman's body. You see the house that she lives in at night when the, you know, mass horde of people that she has given birth to all come home and sleep in this house. There's like not a single scrap of space anywhere for anyone to move or walk. It's just a, a carpet of human bodies that she's produced because the church says that she has to. And she's broken down because she really doesn't want to have any more kids, which is a really realistic decision. But the church says that she can't do that because that's evil because of some interpretation of some book that she read. And 
I, I thought to myself, you know, the Pope went to Manila. There, I, I don't know, a few years ago, there was a big, there was a big thing where the Pope went to Manila, and it was huge, and all the Filipinos came out. You know, if if you don't know much about uh, the Philippines, know this one thing: at least in the northern Philippines, this is probably the most Catholic country in the world. It's just a very strongly, devoutly Catholic country, and all of these people showed up to to cheer on the the Pope, and I know that the Pope is an educated man. I know that the Pope has read books and he's seen things and he, this is a man, and, and the Pope has talked about climate change and the Pope has talked about, you know, saving the earth and whatnot. And the Pope who has, who knows these things, I know that he knows these things, comes to Manila and drives through the streets of Manila and sees the abject poverty that is Manila, the, the crippling abject poverty that is Manila, that I've seen myself. I've I've come home from a day out in Manila and had to just sit in a chair and be like, holy shit, that sucks. Uh, I, I can remember one time when I was in Manila, and I, by the way, I, I'm trying not to rag too hard on the Philippines. It's a beautiful place and they have beautiful people, but for the purposes of this discussion, I'm talking about some of the bad stuff that's there. I remember one day I was in Manila and one of the guys that works for me wanted to show me his old neighborhood, which was down in Binondo, which is the, the Chinatown. It's kind of the rough part of... And when you say the rough part of Manila, by the way, that's that's the rough part of the rough part of the world, right? So this is a pretty rough area that it goes to. And so he takes me driving through Binondo and I'm looking and there's one of these jeepneys in front of me. And I see riding on this jeepney in front of me, maybe a 10, 11-year-old kid, barefoot, shirtless, wearing nothing but a pair of little polyester shorts, and he's he's stealing a ride on the back of this jeepney. He's hanging on for dear life to this... Well, not for dear life. It's clear that he does this every single day. He's obviously skilled at it, but it's still very unsafe. Um, and he's hanging on to the back of this jeepney, hanging on to the ladder on the back of the jeepney with one hand, and with the other hand, he's got a big paper bag full of glue, and he's just riding on the back of this jeepney, huffing glue. And I'm thinking to myself, in another... <laughs> Five, six years, that dude's going to be a dad, right? I mean, and you know it. You just know it, right? You know that this this endless cycle of poverty and and poor education and bad life choices, it's going to continue for these people. Now, not all Filipinos, by the way. I'm talking specifically about people who are trapped into this cycle of poverty within the Philippines. And anyone who's from the Philippines, who's they know what I'm talking about. Um, the Pope's seen this. The Pope knows about this. All the Pope has to do is go back to the Vatican, sit down, write a little letter, and say, you know what, I've thought about it, and you know what, it's probably time for us, with our hugely, vastly full world, to start using contraception. That's probably a good idea. He could do that tomorrow, but he chooses not to. Am I to tolerate that? I have to live in the same world with all of these people. I have to live in the world that's being destroyed, that doesn't have enough resources. I have to live in the world that's creating this huge amount of poverty and suffering because of this choice, this choice that that an organization has made. And I am to tolerate that decision. It's It's a very interesting question. And I've come to the decision that the world does not need my tolerance. The world does not need me to tolerate that decision that the Catholic Church has made. The world does not need me to tolerate that decision that the the Islamic whoever of Iran has made about who can wear what and who can do what. Um, the world doesn't need me to tolerate those things. The world doesn't need me to tolerate 
the father who forces his daughter to wear sheets in the pool. That's not what it needs. What the world needs is for me to understand that. We need so much more understanding in the world. When I went to Iran, a number of people told me, I don't think you should be supporting them like that. I went at the invitation of the Iranian government. I was funded by the Iranian government. And I spent a great deal of time with the Iranian government and the Iranian government officials and having them show me the country. And they did a wonderful job and they were very gracious hosts and I'm nothing but thankful to them for what they've done. But there were people who said, by going to Iran and coming back from Iran and talking about how nice Iran was or how great the developers were or how great your experience was, you are supporting the Iranian government and you're supporting the choices that they make. And I thought to myself, that's not how I see this. I want to understand what's going on in the world. I want to understand what's going on in Iran. And I can sit here in my chair in, in Yokohama and read some articles about some people who read some things about Iran, and I can think that I know something about Iran. Or I can go to Iran, and I can go look around. And on this trip, I went at the behest of the government, because that was an easy, cheap way for me to go. But I went with an open mind, and I went with open eyes, and went to see what I could see. And right now, I don't feel I know enough about that situation to make a judgment about what's right or what's wrong in that country. I don't feel that I have enough information. And I'm certain that most of the people who are saying you should do this or you shouldn't do this about Iran or Iran is this way or it's that way, I'm pretty sure that those people don't have enough information either. I'm reasonably certain that I don't have enough information about the Philippines to make a, a, a definitive, you know, this is what the Philippines should do. This is how they should. Solve. I don't I don't know enough about that. But you know what? Having that opinion sitting here and reading some articles about it or going down to the Philippines and talking to people in the Philippines or getting on the Internet and talking to people from the Philippines and trying to understand it. Those are different things. One of the things I learned when I was in Iran and talking to Iranian people, and this is something that I, I know that people who know about Iran already know, but I, who don't know anything about Iran, didn't know, is that there is a relatively uh, strong fight going on in Iran right now. Recently, they elected a much more moderate person to run their government, and this moderate person is is at odds with the military and with you know, the Ayatollah and other people, there is there is conflict there, not like armed, you know, fighting in the streets conflict, but there is political and cultural conflict between these two groups in Iran. And that there are a number of Iranian people, especially young Iranian people, and keep in mind, most people in Iran are young. There are a lot of young Iranian people who are looking for change. They're looking for cultural change. They're looking to have their country open up. They're looking to have their country have greater relationships with other countries. They're looking to have their banking modernized. They're looking to make all of these changes in their countries. Changes that, that when, when you look at them, you say, those are the sort of things I'd like to see happening. And they're fighting that fight. And standing away and looking from Iran outside and pointing your finger and saying, they ought to do this or they ought to do that or they're bad because they built missiles or they're bad because they took hostages in the 70s or blah, 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 blah. All of that doesn't help. Understanding what's going on in Iran and understanding that there are fights that are happening. At the point that we understand those fights, we can start supporting those people who are doing the things that we believe are right. And I think that is where we need to be. We need to be questioning our own beliefs and questioning where we come from and questioning other people and learning about the place that we are. I want to tell you one last story about this, and I, I know this has gotten long, so I, I hope you'll indulge me. Um, 
I had a conversation with my father uh, a few years ago. And this was back during the time in the States where there was a, a huge debate about gay marriage. And some of the states were saying, okay, we're going to legalize gay marriage. And there was a question about whether or not the, the, the national government was going to legalize gay marriage. And my father, who, who, by the way, is a pretty open-minded guy. He's a, he's a kind of a conservative and he votes Republican a lot, but he's a reasonably understanding guy. I wouldn't call him a racist or sexist or anything like that. And his, he told me once, he said, I just don't believe that this issue is that important. There's so much going on right now that I can't believe that our government is tied up talking about gay marriage. And at some level, I kind of agree with him. At some level, I say, you know, in the grand scheme of things, gay marriage is probably not as big an issue as, say, global warming or whatnot. But here's the thing. It's not a real big issue to me, and it's not a real big issue to him, because neither one of us are ever going to get gay married. That wasn't a, That's not a problem in our lives. But if I were to go to a person who was gay, who did want to get married, and maybe they have not just reasons of, you know, wouldn't it be fun to have a wedding, but they have real reasons that they want to get married. They, they, you know, taxes are better for married people. They want to be able to be involved in the decisions about the health care of the person that they love. They want to be able to get joint bank accounts. They want to do all this kind of stuff that you need to be married to do. Um, and, I'm, and I don't want to get in the argument about, oh, they can do that with civil unions or whatnot. My point here is, for them, this issue is a big issue. And I think that lack of empathy, you know, and, 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 and that, you know, should we just tolerate gay people? My father tolerated gay people just fine. He tolerates gay marriages just fine. He doesn't have anything against gay marriages. He never said that gay people shouldn't get married. He's perfectly tolerant of gay people and gay marriages. But being tolerant isn't enough. Understanding, empathizing, and getting involved in the struggles of people that live in our world and finding out that the struggles that they're fighting, whether it's a struggle to be married when you're gay or a struggle to wear whatever the hell you want in Iran or a struggle to have access to birth control and reproductive health in, in the Philippines, all of these struggles are human rights struggles. And before we can get involved in these human rights struggles, we have to understand the traditions and the, the, the situations and the complexity of these issues in the places that they are. And in the end, that's the answer to, why did I go to Iran? There was a part of the world that I didn't know enough about, and somebody gave me the opportunity to go see it with my own two eyes and make some decisions based on what I saw and what I learned and the people that I talked to there. And that was an incredible experience, and I thank the government of Iran and the people who hosted the convention for giving me that wonderful experience. So that's what I've got for you today. I'm sorry, I know that went a little bit long, and thank you to the two or three of you that made it to the end of this, this long rant and screed. For those of you who are interested in what I did in Iran and who I met and what I learned, there will be some podcasts coming up soon where I talk about all of those issues. Uh, I've got some wonderful stories. I also have some wonderful interviews with people from the Tehran Game Conference, with developers from Iran, also other developers from around the Middle East, North Africa region, um, working in the Arabic languages, etc. I've also got some wonderful interviews with people from you know North America and Europe. I've got all kinds of good stuff coming. So I hope you're up for that. Uh, stay tuned and We'll get all that to you relatively soon. If you're enjoying this, please let me know. There is a link to the Discord channel in the information there on the Podbean, whatever below. Let me know. Are you are you liking this? Are you not liking this? Are there some questions? Are there some things you think I got wrong? Some things I should add? Let me know. I get I get lonely over there when people don't come. 
And if you're, if you're really enjoying this and you, you really want me to keep doing this, tell your friends. Share it on your Facebook, share it on your Twitter, share it everywhere. Let people know that we are here. Um, even if it's just to let people know, hey, there's this asshole and he's got all these ridiculous ideas. Let's go laugh at him. I'm cool with that, too. So that's all I've got, and we'll see you on the next show. <laughs>